Welcome to the Northern Business Podcast. Each week we talk to people active in business and the economy about the big issues driving growth in the north of England. We're sponsored by Virtue Motors, one of the UK's largest motor retailers. You can check out its website at virtuemotors.com. I'm Graeme Robb, owner of Recognition PR. Now, we help scores of businesses promote their products and services. Some are featured on this podcast. Make sure you don't miss an episode of the podcast by subscribing on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. In the studio today, we have Daniel Wade, who's CEO at Wade Construction and Management Consultants, and Sim Hall, Managing Director at Populous Select. And later, my colleague Josh will be speaking with Dr. Arnab Basu, who is the founder and CEO at the tech firm Chromec. Now, welcome to the studio, gentlemen. And first of all, I'm going to talk to you, Sim. Your Populous Select is into a specialist kind of recruitment and employee selection. You help firms find really quite specialist uh, vacancies and yes. fill them. So it gives me the opportunity to really talk about the employment market. Mm-hmm. There's been a bit of data in the uh, news in the last few weeks. Well, one crunchy bit was that the number of vacancies has diminished in the UK in the economy at the moment. What, what are the numbers and how do you see it? Yes, I, I saw that report, the, the down around 48,000, I think it was, to 934,000 from, from memory. I might be slightly incorrect there, but from memory... It it has diminished. You're quite right. I still think we should keep in mind that it's still quite healthy. Uh, it is still above pre-COVID levels, so that's very positive. Now that's a, that's a, a right across all markets, all sectors. Our sectors that that we focus on certainly are buoyant, and there's, there's lots going on from that point of view, which is really positive from 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 us. And of course, as you look at the workforce, the population's grown, so you have to look at the percentages to get the ratios right, mm-hmm. and. Around the north of England, the northwest, Yorkshire and the northeast, it's around 5%, maybe slightly yeah. more in some bits or slightly less in others. But, you know, it isn't that long ago that unemployment was around 10%. Absolutely. So, yeah. you know, the, the, although the, the, the recent numbers have changed, they haven't changed that, that badly. But without talking about your specialist stuff, when, when it looks at the, the more routine jobs... Um, if you look at a, a website, I was advertising a job for my own firm, a, a sort of administrative assistant job, not a specialist one. I, I looked at Indeed.com and yes. put my town in, and there were dozens of vacancies. It, it did feel that it was quite buoyant. It, it, absolutely, and that's what we're seeing. Um, I, I think you mentioned you've got some vacancies here. We've got vacancies at, at Populous because we are growing. The demand that we are seeing from our clients uh, and the, the other recruitment companies that we speak with in different markets are telling us the same thing. Uh, so, you know, we've got vacancies, you've got vacancies. It is buoyant market that we're seeing across the Tees Valley and wider, as you know, we, we deal nationally and, and internationally. I think the interesting thing is we've talked about the job vacancies number going down. It was a million, which is an interesting number because yeah. the number of people who are notionally unemployed, yeah. which is, why would we have people unemployed when you've got a million vacancies? Mm-hmm. But... Um, of course, this is the advertised job vacancies market. But of course, your firm and you know hundreds of thousands of other firms don't always advertise vacancies, do they? So yes. tell us about the unadvertised market for these specialist recruits. Yes, that's the area that we we work in certainly, and it's those passive candidates that that we're looking for the the jobs that either can't be advertised for confidentiality reasons, sensitivity reasons, or they just want to keep it quiet in the market that they're exploring a new area or a new avenue. Um, so 
that's when they come to specialists like Populous to to go out and actually find particular skill sets and uh, ensure that they're attracting the right people to, towards those roles. Um, it, it is generally a scarcity of uh, of that resource available in that market or that location particularly. And uh, we work with our clients to make sure we understand what they're looking for and then pair the two together, match the two up. Now, let's go back to the general situation in the employment market and look at younger people. Now, I know you don't always deal with younger people because you're tending to pick up some very experienced uh, mm -hmm. candidates for jobs. But the data is showing that one in five young people are economically active due to ill health. And it's the threshold at which somebody is economically inactive because of ill health, which might have changed. The threshold's mm -hmm. raised, oh, sorry, lowered. Yes. Um, and... Um, there's a, a lot of comment about how young people might be less resilient. Different conditions trigger absence from the workplace than otherwise would have. Yes, certainly. If it's, a, if it's a similar readings I've been looking at, a, a good deal of that uh, drop has been because of mental health issues. And I think we do, well, I know from personal experience as a father of a 21-year-old a, a and a 19-year-old, um, we went through COVID with them. Um, they were isolated. They didn't go through those really valuable times that they could have had when they've gone gone back to education, uh, university. They had to do a lot of that remotely, uh, alone, and not interacting at, at the levels they did. I think there's a responsibility there, not only from central government. I know there's a, a big investment for uh, you know back to work. Two and a half billion, I believe, a part of that has been attributed to to that age group. But also, us as employers, uh, we have to be better educated and, and make sure we understand what that involves. Um, personally speaking, and I don't know you guys, but we employ that age group, 16 to, to 25. We've got a number of people that work there. As I say, I've got daughters as well at that age. Um, through COVID and up to now, our our sickness rate is very very low, almost non-existent. Yeah, I can I can back that as well. You know, we've um, with the the few of that age that we've got within the business, we've never we haven't had an issue at mm -hmm. all. To be honest, um, some very keen young people wanting to do well in the industry. I think it, it, it's <clears> also uh, about how your attitude is in the workplace. I know my attitude's changed. Now, I was raised in my profession in a 1980s newsroom radio station, yeah, yeah, yeah. and um, and the, it was all very almost macho, really. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, now I employ young people like you, and I've got a mental health first aider on the team. Right, and, yeah. And uh, it's, 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 it was a bit of training that I invested mm -hmm. in uh, just a few months ago, actually. Mm -hmm. And she came back from the training course and filled me with new insights. Yeah. Um, it's a good thing. I don't know. I, th I think it probably is a good thing. Yeah. Um, it, it started as a tick box, but ended with some changes. Positives, yeah. Uh, yeah. And a bit more positivity in the in the business. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, so, um, and there's a number of people, uh, has it has doubled. I've put some graphs on, which people might have seen. Uh, and, and you think that the tackling of it uh, is important, but... One of the big issues that we're talking about when it comes to the workplace is productivity. And it's still difficult to have difficult conversations about productivity, isn't it? Yes. Now, you're in a, a white-collar business, and although you're dealing with construction, Daniel, mm -hmm. you're a construction uh, a consultant, so you're white-collar as well. Correct. Do you feel, uh, Daniel, that a conversation about productivity with a white-collar 
uh, person is different to someone who's maybe in construction on the on the on the on the on the craft trades. Um, it 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 can be. So it can be. I mean, you know, the the greater you know, I'm very biased, obviously, towards the construction industry. The greater construction industry has had a huge, huge challenge for a long, long time, particularly on mental health. Um, that it's been it's been ongoing forever, and having the ability to identify those things within construction at the blue collar trade level is something which we need to be all more aware of. Mm. We we partner with a business called Mate in Mind. Mm. Uh, with Mate in Mind, they they speci- specifically work around the mental health side of things within the construction industry, and conversations are slightly different to what they are with white collar staff ever so say because people have got different challenges um but we tend to act with it quite well do you think the challenges of a conversation about productivity uh, uh and mental health and the difficult conversations one has to have is different uh you say blue collar but it's also different on gender i mean uh, the construction industry has made great efforts to have more female workers I, whenever i've been on a site recently i've seen, seen female construction workers but there's been a change there yeah i mean again this is something which we're trying to push very heavily as a business um you know we're we're partnering with women in construction for example exactly the same thing to be able to bring in that more diverse workforce it's 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 huge i mean the industry again i always stick to construction but the industry is so archaic in its approach at times it is improving and we are improving but we can do a lot more we're trying to do that and i know others are as well Janine, let's talk a bit about your business specifically, because it is a bit unique, it's a bit niche, and you've won an award for it. You were the, the Entrepreneurs Forum Emerging Talent uh, winner in the northeast of England uh, last year. Now, you've had a big rise. You've been opened in uh, the Teesside, Darlington area, 410% increase in your growth, mm-hmm. and you are managing major projects but they're very technological companies. You're not talking about house building. We're talking about building pharma labs and things like that. Correct, yeah. So just tell us about how you got into it and how you've made it grow. Yeah, um, so I'll I'll tell it straight as it is. You know, the business, when it first started, we had a bit of a catch-all approach to the way that we went to work. But fundamentally, we're we're a construction management business, and for those who don't know, construction management is a procurement model within construction that's been around for got over 100 years it's been around a long time and um i i started uh the business off the back of um working for some large other businesses and thinking that things should be slightly different and uh our whole model uh, is all around the end goal of a client it all comes off the back of the empire state building as a story you know it's a huge building that i've loved for my entire life and um that's that project unknown probably to the teams at the time was a very collaborative delivery model. It was bringing in partners to be able to deliver a project as fast as possible, the race to the top versus the Chrysler building. People have never read about that. It's a great story. But what these people did was they provided such efficiencies on a project. We still use them now, today. You know, you were talking in the night, this is the 1920s, 19, early 1930s. Talking through, about, through recession as well. Through Exactly, yeah, through, through recession. recession. You know, bringing carting systems onto floors just in time logistics um vet food vendors on floors toilets on floors just things that at the time were never heard of but they weren't brought about by an individual you know team it was a whole collective of all the great people in that area to be able to do it and and the target 
and the target, the target which is the end the date. goal. That's exactly yeah. it. It's it's, and that's what we do as a business. It, it's all about stripping out all of the rubbish. We're all aiming for one end goal here, which is what we've aligned ourselves to: pharmaceutical and life science, which is getting product out the end door. And what does that do? It gets medicine to people quicker. Mm-hmm. It gets people actually healthy faster. And when you talk about that as a construction management business, it's completely different to what you normally talk about, which is time, quality, and cost. It's all about getting to the end goal of the client. Yeah, on this podcast in recent weeks, we've talked to Merrick Construction in Northeast England that builds some of these pharma factories in a factory yep. and then brings them out and assembles them. And people like you manage the projects and mm-hmm. so on. But the result is speed. And if you think about a pharma company, they've spent Sometimes hundreds of millions researching the drugs, getting them through approval. They want them on the market as quickly as possible. Absolutely. So there is actually a target to do with speed. There is, yeah, absolutely. You know, when when we set about projects with clients, it is all about how do we get to that end point and how's the fastest way that we can do it. We're often brought in very early. We bring in key partners. So we talk to we. I struggle with the word supply chain. I think it's a, an old terminology that, and you know, bringing in tier two contractors, I struggle with that as well. But bringing in supply partners who are able to provide us with such a strategic advantage by saying, "This is how you're going to do this better. This is how you're going to do it quicker." Talking about de-risking a project, how we're going to be able to to do this as efficiently as possible, and who holds risk? How does that work? Those conversations don't typically happen within the industry. They don't. It's a a traditional model of uh, let's get a bit of design done, let's wrap it up into a tender and hope that somebody can figure it out. And could could and should these models be applied in the public sector as well? I mean, in this country now, the public sector is nearly 40% of GDP. And the NHS is a huge percentage of public spending. Mm. And there's this pledge to get all these new hospitals built. And quite a lot of them... The budget's there, but they aren't built. It's slow. Yep. The procurement process, the building process is slow. Mm. Well, what can be applied to that? If they can build drugs factories, can they not apply those techniques to hospitals? Uh, absolutely. Yeah, 100%. I mean, from, from our point of view, we're a small fish in an absolutely enormous pond right now. And <clears throat> what we're trying to do is develop case studies that we can take to local governments and say, look, if you apply these very basic ways of working you will be able to deliver quicker. I mean, the, the, the challenging bit for, for public side of things, public funding is right now everything goes down a tender process, a traditional route. This is how it's going to be. And all that ends up being is the majority of the time, there are exceptions, but it ends up just with some form of adversarial conversation that is going to slow the project down. And that'll come from a large contractor, the one below them, it'll come at some point on a project. And that's what slows everything down. It's, it's happened forever. Let's see how you contrast the different uh, approaches to the productivity gains you can get in different countries. I know that you're working in the US, uh, France, the Middle East, the Far East, even North Africa. I don't know what you're doing in North Africa. Tell us a little bit about that experience. Uh, it's, a, it's a huge, it's a big challenge. It's in, you know, we're, again, we're a small fish in a big pond, but we, we fight at the highest of levels, really. The... The international piece for us, the, the the growth on that side of it is very much delivered off safety metrics. You know, safety within the UK, we are first in class in the UK. That's my opinion. There'll be other people who will think differently, but that's the way that I see things. 
when you when you go into a international and you look at their standards our initial impact what we're looking to do is just to drive people up drive people to the right level of where we're not injuring people and so you know you talk about france for example the, the french kill one person every week on a construction site wow. and and that's a norm that mm -hmm. that is normal you know we've we, we've we've seen other sites we've been and viewed around and, and these things are just standard that's not normal to me it's not normal probably to sim to be honest with no. you that's it's not a normal statistic that's so um our biggest drive with our clients in these um in these some emerging markets some major major markets is that we want to get them to the level of where from a safety perspective that's the first brick in the chain and then or the first brick in the building then after that we'll take it from there can i can i add that to that so i think you've mentioned there and we were making reference to the uk projects and the challenges from a, a, a construction management delivery point of view it's it's a global issue it's not it's not just a uk the uk and particularly the tees valley have long i can tell you stories of being a kid with my father on construction sites globally um we T-siders have been held in the highest regard as the gold star for delivery of international major petrochem oil and gas pharmaceutical projects. And with what Danny's doing, he's been very modest about it. Again, it, 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 we're raising the standards again from the Tees Valley. And that's why the people look to the Tees Valley and why we're getting these. Uh, it's fantastic. And a very positive answer you gave. Is there anything that we can learn from other markets? Um, do you do when you work I, on I these projects to bring yeah, in the skill? I, I, well, not necessarily skills, but methodology is that. I, I think some of the things which have came to light to us recently is probably around communication. You know, in the UK, we are we, we claim to be first class communicators within within the industries that we work in. Um, having stepped into, for example, Singapore recently, that. The projects which we've seen over there are light years ahead of where we are in terms of how they work in in a collaborative communicating team, and and that's something which I think a lot of egos aren't they're not in the rooms when you're in in yeah. these sort of environments, and it's different in the UK. We're a bit more I don't know we stand up a little bit more, don't we? And yeah, that's that's yeah. the way that we do. But that's a cultural piece, and that's something which is I mean, God, I'll, I probably won't change that in my lifetime. I would have thought. So you employ skilled people and deploy them in the projects and, and you find skilled people with people like Sim. Before we find out how you get them, what's it like taking a Brit abroad? What are the settling things that you have to do? How do you manage to get the transplant of a person from the UK to, I don't know, the UAE or North Africa? Yeah, so it's, um, it's got its challenges. It, it does. I mean, there's... If I just go from purely from a cultural perspective to start off with, finding the right fit, and I'm, Sim's going to dive in on me here as well, <laughs> but finding the right fit culturally that works with us as a business, but also that works with your client, but also works in a, a completely different market, that is an incredible challenge, and it really is. And you know, I'm I'm not we we work with Sim because that's not somewhere where we're an expert in. We we've got methods and ways of working of this is how we believe projects should be delivered. The people that we bring in are aligned to those same values and thrive in what we do and do incredible things. Um, locating them is um, something which this man helps with. Well, a fine, you get the final word on this. How do you help a construction management bloke like Daniel, or for that matter, someone working in Petrochem or what have you, to find the right person to work in a different culture? Absolutely. Well, the... 
there's two aspects to that. One, yes, there's the the, the the UK angle and taking our first class approach to safety, particular globally. But there is also the, the second aspect whereby we do need that cultural recognition of where we're going and understanding the culture, as, as Danny's uh, said there, of not only Wade, but the end client who's paying for the project and the, the contractor that you're working with that you're going to be overseeing and managing. And sometimes it is uh, a, a better outcome if you employ somebody locally. But you've got to be able to find, again, that right culture and that right fit. Uh, the way that we do it, the way that we, our approach to it, is developing a deep understanding of those three aspects and ensuring and pairing that together with our deep understanding of global construction delivery from a project's point of view and our our core competence in, in recruitment, obviously, in, in research and finding people, piecing all that together, taking it through the journey and, and just taking ownership of it. And it, it's, it, it works well right. and we do deliver. Well, Sim Hall from Populous Select and Daniel Wade from Wade Construction Management, thank you for joining us on the Northern Business Podcast. Now to something else, I wanted to introduce you to my colleague Josh, who's been speaking to Dr. Arnab Basu, who's the founder and CEO at Chromec PLC. Today we had the Chromec Futures event, which brings a whole host of stakeholders within the CBRN community from UK, USA and, and Europe in general, where we talk about the current issues the world is facing, the ecosystem that we exist in, and ultimately what Chromex technology and products can do to solve some of the current challenges that we face as a nation and as a, as, as a world itself. It is absolutely important to uh, you know, make people aware what is going on in the northeast of England, what is going on in County Durham, what is going on in Netpark, where technologies which are used across the globe are being manufactured, are being developed, and, and, and those are used by critical customers like USDOD, like Department of Homeland Security, like uh, the Ukrainian State Emergency Services, like the British uh, EU Commission for uh, providing security to a variety of scenarios. The operation that we have at NetPark, and we're currently building stage three, of that development. Um, so I think as a local authority, we've shown our commitment to the industry and what they're doing with our £60 million investment in, into that. And it shows just how much that's needed. For the North East, we know, and in County Durham, we have the skills, we have the people to work in this industry. And what it's bringing for our economy, for employment, for the population as a whole to put Sedgefield, County Durham, the North East on the map. I am Baram Giossi and uh, I am an uh, Associate Fellow at Heritage Access Society at Think Tank. Well, today I had the honour of uh, presenting uh, my talk on the global nuclear and radiological threats and the implications for national and international security. Um, I'm delighted that uh, there were excellent speakers here today and I learned a great deal. Steve Weber, retired Lieutenant Colonel Air Force, um, the Deputy Director for Defense Nuclear Detection. Having a chance to hear of the new technologies that Chromec is developing, um, specifically for me in the bio area, 
that I'm not day-to-day familiar with and not working with them on is always fantastic. And then seeing the new partners and the other partners uh, that Chromac works with is always a pleasure for me. It's key that we have the protection and threat mitigation in place and from a radiation side, having a having the ability to detect these things in near real time is key to give uh, decision makers and leaders actionable intelligence so that they can make viable and proper decisions to save the population. Well, thank you, Josh, for that interesting uh, report and all those different people giving comments on the Northern Business Podcast. Now, if you want to join us as a guest on the Northern Business Podcast, feel free to get in touch. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, do get in touch on LinkedIn. I want to thank my podcast producer, Harry Sinclair, and technical operator, Robin Campbell. Join us next time for the Northern Business Podcast, but don't miss an episode. Like, rate, and subscribe on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts.